Hello, and welcome to Short Talks from the Hill, a podcast from the University of Arkansas. I'm Bob Whitby, a science writer at the university. I'm talking to biologist J.D. Wilson about his research on invasive Burmese pythons in the Florida Everglades. Thanks for joining me, J.D. Thank you. Uh, You've been studying snakes for years and co-wrote a book on them. In the foreword of your book, uh, you call the pythons takeover of South Florida unprecedented and say the invasion may, quote, rival all others in terms of its potential to completely alter the structure of native ecosystems and capture the public's attention. That sounds like a big problem. Uh, What are the impacts are these snakes having on the Everglades? They've been recognized as established since about 2000. And since that time, we've started to see pretty dramatic escalating changes in the Florida Everglades ecosystem relating to predation by pythons. So we had a study several years ago now that documented basically most mammals disappearing from where pythons have been established the longest and are most common. So virtually complete disappearance of most of the middle-sized mammals, things like rabbits, raccoons, opossums, um, even declines in things like deer and bobcats and some of the more carnivorous species. Uh, In some areas of the Southern Everglades, it's very uncommon to rare to even see one of these mammals anymore. It's it's actually um, kind of spooky to uh, do field work down there and not see the mammals that we're so used to seeing frequently. And of course, these are some of the species that pythons feed on frequently. And there have been several subsequent studies that have really confirmed the link between pythons and declines in those mammals. In fact, they tried to reintroduce rabbits to areas where they had been wiped out and nearly all of those rabbits got eaten by pythons and the populations failed to reestablish. So they seem to be really changing the food web of this system. And the most recent study we've done really focuses on the uh, larger scale implications of how that might change the Florida ecosystem. So you've said they've been in the Florida Everglades since about the early 2000s. Where did they come from? They've been recognized as breeding and established as an invasive species since about 2000. Our research suggests that they were probably there a lot longer. There's a lot of controversy about how they got introduced in the first place. The one thing that uh, is very hard to argue is that um, they came from anywhere other than the pet trade. Uh, That's really the only reason that these snakes exist in our country. Uh, They're native to much of southern and southeastern Asia. They've got a very broad range that spans all different habitats from tropical rainforest to desert, even up into the foothills of the Himalayas in India. And, you know, really since the 1970s or 80s, they've been very common pet snakes. And so, Um, You know, through some combination of uh, accidental or intentional release, escape, these snakes got into the Everglades and apparently found it very much their liking. Describe the Burmese pythons. What what do they look like? Uh, The Burmese python is pretty widely recognized as the third largest snake in the world, depending on how you measure size, if it's length or weight. Um, But they can reach certainly lengths between 15 and 20 feet regularly, um, even in the wild. And I think the record in Florida is now between 17 and 19 feet, depending on which one you recognize as a legitimate record or not. But there have been several individuals in the 17 to 18 foot range. These weigh um, you know, upwards of 100 pounds or more. They're a magnificent animal, beautifully patterned. Um, of course, the case of a pet snake, this is a beautiful animal to display and you know, it's a fun to look at in a zoo. You know, in their natural environment, this provides camouflage. So they're amazingly camouflaged. Uh, they can blend into a little bit of leaf litter or uh, they spend a lot of time in the water, a little bit of aquatic vegetation, and they virtually disappear. And in fact, that's one of the, the problems with studying them is that they're so hard to find even where we know they're common. Do you have any idea how many there are in the Everglades and are they spreading north still? 
Or is there some place where they're going to be stopped by the weather? The answer to both of those questions is really no, we don't know yet. Those are um, topics of active research right now. So um, in terms of how many there are, the problem there is we know they're common in many areas. We know there are parts of South Florida where dozens to hundreds have been removed from even relatively small, like a canal bank along one of the canals over the course of a year or two. We still find them there. We certainly haven't eliminated them from anywhere as far as we can tell. But just how many there are is really hard to tell. In fact, we did a, a detection study where we had snakes in a large sort of naturalistic enclosure and we had people come in and experimentally search for them. And in that study, only two snakes were found out of 200 possible opportunities for detection. So this suggests that even in a, essentially a, a cage, <laughs> you walk by 99 for every one that you see. They're even harder to find in natural habitat, especially when you get into some of the tangled mangrove or sawgrass type habitats of Southern Florida. So we're working on new ways to develop population models to estimate how many there are. We know there's many, I mean, thousands have been removed. Um, they're spread over an area of several thousand square miles now, so the area that we're talking about is just gigantic. But in terms of an actual density estimate, that's, that's sort of the golden question. Uh, in terms of how far they could spread, that's the most controversial question, and that's also still an area of active research. There have been several studies that have tried to use a technique called climate matching to predict basically where suitable climate exists for them. So basically the idea there is that you take known localities where they occur in Asia, look at the climate there and match to similar climate here in North America. And depending on which climate variables you include in those, the estimates range anywhere from basically the Florida Peninsula, maybe parts of the Gulf Coast, all the way there's, there's one of the um, better supported models actually that suggests that they could go all the way up into the you know, southern tier of the US, all the way up to even southern Arkansas, Washington DC or the West Coast. Do they pose any danger to humans? Uh, that's also a question that uh, is frequently asked. I've, I've typically answered that the danger to humans that's often portrayed by the media is exaggerated. These are not necessarily man-eaters who are out looking for humans, but they are large, powerful, carnivorous animals. And with the numbers that are out there, um, you know, it's certainly a possibility that someone could have a uh, predatory type interaction with one. Uh, in their native range, they, to the extent that there are attacks of wild pythons on humans, thus far the evidence would suggest that that's similar in Florida. Maybe something sort of like an alligator where thousands and thousands to millions of alligators coexist with people all the time. Um, most of those don't have any negative interactions with people. Every once in a while, there is a situation where you know, a bad situation arises or one gets too acclimated to being fed by people and you end up with, you know, a problem on your hands. You recently published a study in the Journal of Applied Ecology about the effects of the pythons. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, so this is an, an extension of our previous research on the impacts of pythons on mammals. And here we basically looked at the broader scale or uh, indirect effects that pythons might be having on the Florida ecosystem. So in that study, we actually took it a step further and said, if mammals are disappearing because of pythons, what effect are mammal declines having on other species in the system that might not be directly preyed upon by pythons? And the species we decided to focus on for that study were turtles, because turtles are not preyed upon by pythons, but turtle nests are frequently predated by raccoons and opossums and other small uh, sort of mid-sized mammals that have declined where pythons are common. So in this study, we basically went out and created artificial turtle nests across the range of pythons, including areas where they're common and there are few mammals, all the way out to areas where there are no pythons 
and mammals are very common. And we basically found that in areas where mammals have declined, turtle nesting success apparently is a lot higher than it is naturally or in areas where pythons are not there um, yet. So this is actually a positive effect of pythons for turtles, but that's optimistic. But the flip side of that is that um, it suggests that these uh, effects of pythons are sort of trickling through the ecosystem and cascading through different components of that food web. And you might imagine that loss of mammals might also be affecting all types of ecosystem processes like vegetation dynamics, nutrient cycling, other aspects of the food web, and we really may be seeing a change in the whole overall ecosystem. And the really scary thing is that this shows a direct parallel to the case of the brown tree snake, which is the other sort of poster child of invasive snakes. They invaded the island of Guam in the South Pacific in the 1950s, wiped out most of the native birds, which of course was a conservation tragedy, but recent research has suggested that that's even trickled through that ecosystem and changed the forest structure, the types of trees that are growing because birds are no longer spreading seeds or pollinating plants. And so um, it's changed the invertebrate communities with way more spiders as predators rather than birds, which would normally be the major insect predators. So we seem to be seeing sort of a parallel situation arise here in the Everglades. Is there anything that can be done to stop, to get rid of the snakes? There's definitely no golden arrow at this point or any easy solution. Um, that doesn't mean we can't do anything about it. We're currently, there's a lot of active research going into how to best capture these snakes. And once we combine an estimate of how many there are with how we can best capture them, we can figure out how to control them or reduce their populations, at least uh, maybe in small areas, such as areas where they might come into contact with sensitive species. The Florida Keys are a prime example. They're starting to get onto the Florida Keys, and there's a whole variety of rare species on the Florida Keys that we would like to protect. So large-scale eradication, not at this point, but small-scale solutions, I think we're heading in that direction. And you know, with continued research, I think there's, you know, there's hope that we could continue to improve our methods such that we could make a bigger effect on their populations. Music for Short Talks from the Hill was written and performed by Ben Harris, guitar instructor at the University of Arkansas. For more information and additional podcasts, go to KUAF.com or researchfrontiers.uark.edu, the home of research news at the University of Arkansas.